Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Changing the Climate. Again, this is your host, Ethan Shapiro, the climate change realtor, founder and manager of the most innovative real estate sales company in the world. Uh, like I said, back for another episode. So I'm very happy to have Leslie Glustrom, an esteemed biochemist, climate activist, and one of the founding members of Clean Energy Action, a Boulder-based nonprofit with the goal of accelerating the transition from fossil fuels to clean energy. So Leslie, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm great. And thank you so much for doing this, Ethan. It'll be a lot of fun. It's my absolute pleasure. Yeah, I'm really starting to enjoy these a lot. I love that I, I get the jitters still in the beginning, but you know, that's how you knew you're doing something important. So yeah, would you want to just give us a little bit of background, a little bit of background about yourself and how you got to be doing what you're doing now? Sure. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, one thing I say is that I'm just like everybody else. I'm a mom. Um, and now I'm a grandmom, which is very exciting. And, uh, you know, I just have always been interested in the interface between science and society. I'm trained as a biochemist, have a deep love for life at every level from the molecular level, you know, up to the ecosystem level. And obviously, as far as we know, there's only one planet that supports life. And mm -hmm. if there's another one, it's, it's a long ways away. So, uh, you know, I've always been really interested in how our decisions affect all the other species that we share the planet with, as well as future generations. So long story short, I've worked at the Interface of Science and Society for now close to 50 years. And um, in 2000, on a whole variety of issues from radioactive waste to livestock grazing on public lands to artificial sweeteners to all sorts of other things. And, um, but in 2004, as the the magnitude of the climate crisis became increasingly clear to me. The bark beetle was beginning to ravage the forests in the Western United States. And it, I'd always spoken about climate change. I taught about climate change for many years. I was very concerned about it, but I didn't really understand it. Nobody really understands this because we've never done this to the planet before. Right. But I went back and I read a lot of the science and I said, oh my goodness. This is so much worse than even I had thought, and the tipping point issues are very serious. And we're driving climate di carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases in the atmosphere up at a, a rate that looks like this on geologic time. And um, I often say if that was the temperature gauge on your truck or your baby, you would, you would take action immediately. Yeah. So one of the things I said to my husband, and we still had two kids in college, I said, I want to resign my job to work full time on climate change. And he said, what? This is back in 2004. And, uh, but he really understands a lot about this. And he ultimately became very supportive. And the kids both got their college education. And, you know, we, we aren't starving or living on the streets. And so uh, he ultimately became very, very, very supportive couldn't do what I do without his incredible support for the last 15 years. Bless him. And uh, so I did end up resigning my job and uh, working full-time on climate change. Uh, starting in 2004, I had been working on it, but I just said, I am no kind of mother if I don't do everything I possibly can. So I worked 80 and 90 hour weeks for a decade without pay. Um, and uh, so double time, basically. Without pay. Pardon me? Sorry, without pay. And is there some kind of like speaker? All right, it sounds okay now. You said, you said without pay, 80 to 90 hours. Yeah. Wow. It's a okay. crisis. 
Yeah, it is. Go on, go on, please. (laughs) If the house was burning down with my children in it, what would I do? And it's not just my children. It's all, all future generations and all other species. And, you know, the good news, the, you know, not to be overly depressing, because I always try to focus on the solutions and on the good news, even though there's a lot of bad news. Um, the good news is that this is an incredible planet. If you read the geologic history and you watch, read about all everything that's happened, you know, after the dinosaurs went extinct, everything that we have here now happened because of that extinction. So the planet is incredibly regenerative and there, I'm not actually concerned about life when I think about little bacteria that live in the hot springs and things like that. But certainly when I think about what the world will be like for your generation and the generations that come after you, I felt absolutely compelled to work as hard as I possibly could. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, the good news is we've built a fabulous climate movement in Colorado. We've helped to build it around the country. Uh, we work at the local, state, and national level, and those are all complex kind of strategies and issues. But you can tell we have, it's taken a while because that's social change, and this is a big one. Mm-hmm. We now have climate very much in people's mind. We just look back 2016 presidential election. My belief, I haven't double checked this, but there were no questions asked about climate change in the 2016 debates. Huh. And I'm pretty well, sure we'll see there tonight. Were more than, pardon me? I said, well, we'll see tonight. And we'll see tonight, right? As we see our current president and Joe Biden debate. So, uh, and I, whether it's tonight or whether it's, you know, one of the future debates, I, certainly climate change is front and center in this election. And, and that's a big deal. It's also front and center for the state. We can talk about that and the progress we've made here in Colorado. Absolutely. It's front and center in our community. Everybody's got a lot on their mind, as, you, as everyone knows, but just to, if this ever gets listened to in the future, you know, we're in the middle of this global pandemic with COVID-19, this novel coronavirus. Um, and so there's a lot on people's mind but climate change is very getting very close to top of mind for definitely a critical mass of people. And that's been a lot of work. Then we also try to focus just not on like, oh, okay, we got a problem. You know, this is a planetary crisis, but what can we do as individuals um, in, in the lives we lead and in the communities where we live and work? And the great news is that all of us can play a really important role and we can do it while we're doing our jobs and our, you know, taking care of our families or our elders or, you know, whatever it is and having some fun. I try to make sure I have a bunch of fun while I'm doing this. Uh, It's very important. Um, And so the great news is that everybody can play a role and we'll talk later about this, but where your community is really the sweet spot. Everybody can help their community, no matter how big or how small. And we've done this work with communities all over the country, conservative communities and really poor communities and little tiny communities and great big communities. And it's just really wonderful to watch. And this allows us to start to address the climate crisis at a scale that matches the scale of the problem. The severity. You know, all of us, I think, especially you, Ethan, you know, the climate change realtor, would like to wave a magic wand and just kind of 
stop, you know, solve the problem. But none of us get to do that at the planetary level, but we all get to play a really important role. I'm really thrilled about your podcast. Thank you very and, much. And the kinds of voices you're getting on and, and making this just available while you're also earning a living and then giving away a lot of your, your earnings to help solve this existential planetary crisis. So yeah. that's a fair bit about me, but um, I think it helps also frame how we can start to think about both the problem and from my perspective, more importantly, how we address it as people who don't necessarily have a lot of money or a lot of power um, and even a lot of time, but everybody can play a really important role and we'll, we'll explore that as we go forward here. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I'm curious. Well, thank, first of all, thank you very much for doing that. That was amazing. Um, I'm curious if there was some sort of tipping point in the early 2000s where you thought or something that came out where you're like, wow, I really need to shift my focus. I'm kind of, I'm wasting my time making a living for myself if there's going to be no more life on the planet. I'm curious if there was something that stands out in your mind that led to that. Absolutely. And it goes back to that bark beetle crisis that I was kind of going through the West in the early 2000s. My last memory is I think Colorado lost in the neighborhood of 15 million trees. Wow. Um, and I love the forests and I had spent the previous 20 years working really hard on national forest issues. Uh, there's a little bit about that on the internet, but it was kind of pre-internet time. So, so people were writing me the forest that I'd worked so hard on in Arizona. They said, your forest which of course it was not my forest, it's a national forest, but I had spent 20 years working to defend it. So people referred to your forest and they would send me pictures because this is back when you had to actually print out the pictures and send them to people. You couldn't just you know hit a button and bang, uh, airdrop them or whatever. So uh, they would send me these pictures and this forest that I had spent 20 years was just brown instead of green. And that hmm. drove me to go back, I went, here in Boulder, I went up to the, at that point, the climate reports, my memory is they were in the math library. So my memory is I went to the math library, that may be wrong, but it was a smaller library. And I just took out all the reports I could get on climate change, because you had to uh -oh. do it that way back then. You didn't have just, you couldn't just do a Google search and all. I just hauled these big reports around and, and read a whole lot of them, the EPA reports from the 1980s. And they said, you know, we're gonna lose a third to a half of our forests. I'm like, holy you know, this is serious. I want to I wanna talk a little bit about losing all life. Um, one of the things we try to say about climate change is that it is too late for many things. And as someone in the older generation, I can only apologize from the depths of my heart and my being that my generation didn't recognize this earlier mm -hmm. and what that means for this coming century. But we can recognize it now and move forward. And it's too late for many, many things. And that's just an incredible sadness. Do you want to just quickly, just for anyone who's new, I'm sure many people who are listening to this or following are aware, but do you want to explain the problem of climate change before we get into like the, the, res the results or the effects of it? Just yeah, great. what Let's is climate that. change? Yeah. And I'm just going to kind of finish that other thought, Joe, it's really quickly, no, but I really like no your worries. question. Um, it's just, it's too late for many things. If you're already kind of aware of the climate crisis, uh -huh. it's hard not to feel it at a very deep level. I mean, look what you're doing. You're getting up way early in the morning so you can do this as well as make a living, as well as give away a whole bunch of your money. Um, 
thank you incredibly no for problem. that. No problem. Um, it's too late for many things, and that's incredibly sad. It's just a deep sadness that will have to be born. But the really important part is it will, in my estimation, never be too late for everything. And so, yeah. I like that. I like oh, that. So, yeah. so some people go, oh, give up. It's, you know, the die is cast. It's too late or whatever. No. I have heard this. All. I have heard this. Yeah. You know, that despair, I'm just going to give up and go party or I'm just going to give up and go do whatever I do, you know, and that's fine. Everybody should have fun. I'm, I'm all about that, but it is definitely not too late and it will never be too late for everything. And what I say is when we should give up is when you're absolutely sure you're the last living organism on this planet, because there's no other planet that we know of that has even a single bacteria, what's less an ant or a grasshopper or a dandelion or you know, we don't know. We don't know. Uh, it seems likely, but that's a discussion for another day. I yeah, suppose. yeah. I mean, it's interesting to think about, but it's uh, it's likely to be more or less a one way trip, and there ain't going to be a whole lot there. Certainly not like this. So, mm -hmm. this planet is the one that we have, and it will always support some forms of life. Even in the great extinctions, we lost eighty or ninety percent of the species, but. The 10% that were left radiated out and created right. the dinosaurs or radiated out and created lions and tigers and bears and everything else oh my. and humans. So, um, so it's never too late for everything. And I think I just want to lay that as a foundation because as we talk about the, the problem, it's one of the things is it's very painful to bear that knowledge. And I really credit you because you've clearly faced the problem recognize the magnitude of it, chosen how to create your life in a way that both keeps the bills paid, lets you do some interesting and fun work, and also makes a great contribution. And, and I think everybody, can, frankly, should do that in their own way. I agree. I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not in the, the camp of telling other people what to do and how to live their lives, but I would appreciate it if, if people did something similar, even in a, a menial way. Uh, you know, I'm just trying to build a, a team of people who are looking to solve the problem as well. So, yeah. And, uh, and the fun thing is, um, we'll go back and talk about the problem if you want, but I, I really like to focus on the solutions because I actually think they're really interesting. Um, just to lay the foundation, I think most of your listeners know this, but we're talking about the climate crisis, the addition of large amounts of what are called greenhouse gases to the atmosphere. They trap infrared heat, so the sun can come in and warm us all up, but then as it gets reflected back out to space, the, it gets trapped by these greenhouse gases. Water is one of them. It's one of the ways, that's one of the reasons this planet is livable. If we didn't have some greenhouse gases, the planet would be too cold to, to, to really support life as we know it. We, you know, who knows, we, you know, the little bacteria that live underneath the glaciers and all that, but, but life as we know it and human life and dogs and cats and elephants and all those other things. Um, so those gases trap that heat and it just keeps the heat closer to the planet. And when you graph those gases over the last, you know, either a couple hundred thousand years or even a couple million years, they kind of go up and they go down and there's things called Milankovitch cycles. And it's been important as we look at geologic history, the role of greenhouse gases has been very, very important. But when we look at it now, since the industrial revolution, when we started taking fossil fuels out of the ground, 
burning them to power everything from steam engines to power plants to our cars, uh, heat our homes. Now the greenhouse gases in our atmosphere are going straight up. Yeah. So, so to be clear, the, the problem is that humans are taking greenhouse gases and putting them into the atmosphere. Yeah, we're taking fossil fuels, carbon-based fuels, and then burning them. Burning them is an oxidation. And so the largest contributor is carbon dioxide. Comes out of the back of your, your car if you have a, you know internal combustion engine, a gasoline-powered car. Comes out of the power plants that keep all of our electricity going, our computers going, this Zoom meeting, your refrigerator, the grocery stores, the climbing gym, or wherever you go. Everything that we plug into the wall currently is being primarily fueled by the burning of carbon-based coal and carbon-based natural gas. Natural gas is CH4 or methane. When you burn that, it creates carbon dioxide. Also with methane, as you produce it, it's such a small molecule, it leaks out. If you look at all, like the, if you go to Eastern Boulder, Eastern Boulder County and go into Weld County and see all these brown tanks and everything, they're holding natural gas. And if you had a FLIR camera, camera, you would see that in mo many of those cases, out of those tanks and out of the pipes that lead to and from them are billows of methane and other gases. And uh, that's a very potent, methane's on a per weight basis is over 80 times more potent than carbon dioxide right. when you consider it on a 20 year time scale, which is the proper time scale the scientists are pretty clear about. Mm -hmm. So. We have all these carbon-based fuels. There are other greenhouse gases. Uh, they're important, but I think we'll not focus on them because it kind of takes you down in the weeds a little bit too far. The biggest sure. contributor, um, it's kind of interesting. It's now evened out, but when I began, the biggest contributor by far were, was the carbon dioxide coming from the power plants that produce our electricity. Mm -hmm. And while we've made progress, because people like me have spent close to 20 years working really hard to make progress. Thank you. Here in Boulder, last year, 70% of our electricity came from fossil fuel-based generation. A little over 30% coal and a little over 30% natural gas combined together, making about 70% fossil fuel. About 30% renewable, that's great progress, because when I began, there was less than 5% renewable electricity. And electricity, it's now being matched by transportation in terms of greenhouse gas emissions. But for well, the last 20 years- Powering like homes just, is being matched by transportation is what you're saying now? No, all electricity. All electricity so, is matched with transportation? Yes. Okay. If, if we were to do a greenhouse gas inventory, now every state is a little different, mm -hmm. but you know, good enough here. Yeah. Uh, now the contributions from the production of electricity and transportation are about equal with different states having different matches in different communities. But okay. for example, in Boulder, though, still close to half of our greenhouse gas emissions result from the carbon intensity of our electricity. And that's a really important number to, that's why you'll hear me talk about electricity, 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 and people are like, what about electricity? You know, I just, just plug stuff into the wall, who cares, right? I'm not eating the, but actually it is what happens on the other side of that plug that has been the largest driver 
of the warming of the planet, which has disrupted ecosystems and led to extreme weather events and the big loss of you know, biodiversity. The biodiversity issues, the big fires in California, the, the acidification the of the ocean. Yep. On and on and on and on. All those impacts. Now, causation is always complex. So, you know, the fires in California, they've always had more or less always had fires in California. That's part of kind of how the ecosystem in California has worked. But now it's a different kind of thing. And you just listen to the news and people are like, I've never seen anything like this. And you hear about the hurricanes in the Southeast where they've always, always had hurricanes. They're like, yeah, but not this many and not this big and not this often. And, you know, they've always had kind of weird wind events in Iowa. They had one a few weeks ago in Iowa, what they call a derecho. Yeah, you get weird winds, you get tornadoes in the central part of the country for sure. I had one go through my neighborhood when I was a kid. Um, but not so much, not so often, not so big. That's the whole extreme weather event. So it's complex, yeah. the causation is complex, but they all, the scientists remind us that there's now a climate fingerprint on basically everything that happens. Sure. Heat waves are stronger. It, you know, even the polar vortex, when the, you know, the polar winds kind of break down and all of a sudden we have snow on September 8th or whatever that day was when we had snow in Boulder. It was cold. That all relates to how the extra carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is changing the way the planet worked for thousands of years and sometimes hundreds of thousands of years. So that's kind of an overview. Sorry, I said, so, so let's, let's figure out how to fix it. Okay, let's do that. Uh, you know, again, I want to be really honest because I'm a scientist type. We can't really undo what we've done. Mm -hmm. And that's just an incredibly deep sadness that has to be borne by my generation for those that understand it. And I work with a lot of people in my generation who do understand it. Um, and then as we go through this century, there are going to be really just profound losses as we lose species, as we lose communities, as, as countries become destabilized, because when the climate no longer behaves the way it used to, when the rains don't come when they're supposed to, when the fires just start incinerating huge communities in the you know, mountains of California and Oregon and Washington, you destabilize communities and then you destabilize civil society and you can destabilize countries with Syria being, we don't hear so much about Syria these days because there's a whole, so many other things going on, but they had a huge drought, destabilized the country and just massive suffering uh, with all of the violence that's going on in Syria. And so those kind of failed states become increasingly likely as the climate gets disrupted. So fixing it is probably, I don't think anybody can tell us we can fix that, but we can address, when you're digging a hole, the first rule of holes is, you know, stop digging. And we can do that pretty darn quickly. That's exciting. Um, and then we can learn to live a life in the post-fossil fuel world. I won't be here for too much more. I'm in my mid sixties. So, you know, I'll get to see part of this, but your generation is going to learn how to live in both a much more sustainable, sensible way. And also, it's just going to be a lot better in, in the way you do things. I often think that 
your children, if you should have them, well, you might say, well, you know, when I was growing up, my dad would put gas in the car or whatever, you know, or your mom or whoever would put gas in the car. And your kid will go, gas? Why did you ever put gas in a car? Why didn't you just use electric, you know? Because electric cars are so much better. And there's so much. Is, is there any way for you to turn, like, your speaker down a little bit? Oh, I'm yeah, of course. My apologies. No worries. Or let me push it away and maybe not talk so loudly. Let's see. That, yep, that's it. Thank you. Okay, very good. And thanks for telling me that because it's hard to know how it's coming through. How's no this worries. sounding? Oh, it sounded great the whole time. It's just when I would talk, there would be feedback. But anyways, yeah, I, I, I like that. I like where we're going with this. Okay, very good. So I think your generation, you know, is both going to have to live with the, the, the pain and the difficulty of, of this, what's been unleashed, frankly, by my generation and the one before us. And again, I can only apologize. But you're also going to be finding all these great new ways of doing things. And electric cars mm -hmm. are the ones that people can kind of see now. If you haven't driven an electric car, just try it. I don't know. They're so much fun. I drove uh, one the other day. One of my friends let me go in and test her car. It was awesome. What did you drive? Can I ask? It was the, it was the Model 3 for the first time. I'd never driven. A, I've never driven an electric car ever. I drove uh, one of the versions of the Model 3 and it was, it was something else. Tell me about that. Oh man, it was great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she just, she just let me in and we went down, I don't know, past South Boulder. And she was like, when we got to the stoplight, she's like, okay, put your foot all the way down on the gas and just see what, and it's just like, mm, like there's no, there's no, um, there's no time in between. It just, it like, it's like pedal to pedal, boom. And then, uh, it's like a, yeah, I mean, you can just, you get a computer vibe from it. It's just like, it, and it has the, the auto, the autopilot and it's, it's quiet. And it had this, this thing I didn't know is that she had that, like the setting really high up where if you like take your, like you move your foot up off the gas, the car like starts, like it stops moving and you don't really have to use the brakes because it's some, something to do with that. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I love Tesla. So I mean, it was just my first like actual time driving one of those cars. Yeah, well, thank you so much. That's exactly what I'm trying to say, is that it was really fun, right? Oh, 100%. It was, yeah. it, it was like, this is really cool. This is much better than whatever I drove when I was a teenager, or mm -hmm. even what you drive now, or maybe you ride, I don't know, I don't know, uh, your bike. I I can't. Car. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, yes, it's a great car. Whatever you're driving now is great, but you can see that Maybe a Tesla Model 3 isn't in your future right now, but as they become more and more available and more and more cost effective, it's going to be a lot, it's a, just a lot better. And people just start to take it for granted. We drive either, we've either had electric or right now we have a Volt, which mostly runs electric. And I can beat anyone off the line, anyone, <laughs> totally leave them in the dust. And I don't even care about that sort of thing, but it's really fun. Uh, you know, I don't care how big the muscle truck is that's next to me. And every once in a while I do it, not excessively, but just to kind of get them to look at this little car that just torched them. I mean, they're halfway through the intersection. I'm a hundred yards down the road and I didn't even work very hard at it. So <laughs> not that you want to torch the muscle trucks or, just beat people off the line. But my point is that where we're headed in the post-fossil fuel world will be more fun than where we've come from. And that's, yeah. and I'm it'll- I'm still getting that, that feedback. 
uh, a little bit. Is is it is there a speaker that's like near a microphone? Like where you're hearing where I'm talking when I first talk it like will will come through. Whatever. Uh, no, I'm, I don't I don't have and I don't That's no no worries at all. And then so you you're you're starting to to sound like you think innovation is going to be one of the biggest keys to, to solving this crisis. Yeah, and that's where the fun part comes for your generation. Just think about the engineers who got to design the Tesla, mm -hmm. right? How much fun was that for them to design a car that works like that? And we're really just beginning this process. And as we think about electricity um, addressing the largest source of greenhouse gas emissions, the old way of doing it is you went to you know a coal mine and dug up a bunch of coal and put it in the train and made a big pile the next to the coal plant and then you burned it at less than significantly less than 40% efficiency. So 60% of the heat just went out the, the smokestack without doing anything along with all the mercury and arsenic and cadmium and all the other bad things that come out of coal plants. Uh. And, and then you put it on transmission lines and lost seven to 10% on the transmission lines. And, and uh, you know, that's how we did it last century. But as we solve the puzzle of electricity in the 21st century, We'll have solar panels, lots of places. We'll have wind turbines, lots of places. We'll have storage, including Tesla storage, but it's not just Tesla. Lots of other great companies coming along, creating really interesting jobs and opportunities for your generation, because we need to repower the entire country. And a lot of it's going to be done with electricity, because if we move transportation from being powered by petroleum to being powered by electricity, that means there's just that many more opportunities that many more companies, that many more interesting jobs of all different kinds, whether you're an engineer or whether you're a PR person or, you know, whatever you are, um, accountant or whatever, we need it all. And it's going to be a huge segment of our economy. And it's going to be really interesting because part of the, the challenge now is to integrate the solar when the sun's shining during the day and the wind when it's blowing, which is often more at night. And how do we manage all of that? And when do we plug in storage and what kind of storage and how do we now manage the grid? And how do we create little microgrids that can keep working if, for example, there's a fire like in California or a hurricane in the Southeast, how can we create solar and storage in a little area? Maybe it's a block, maybe it's you know a compound. But the microgrids in California, as the fires have gone through, the microgrids keep going. So and even when they've had to take down the power lines in California, which they've had to do because they were afraid the power lines would start the fire, and all these people are sitting in the dark and trying to keep their work done, and what do they do with their, all the food in their refrigerator that's going bad? The microgrids just kept going. So each of those is a really interesting problem for your generation to so help us solve. So do you think the solution is as simple and obviously crazy, complex, and surmountable as just transitioning to just not burning fossil fuels, not, not burning uh, or not using gas or any, and then just transitioning and, and allowing us to keep doing what we're doing or do what we're doing better without releasing these harmful things into the atmosphere? Is it just as simple as if we were to stop doing this, stop burning coal, stop using natural gas, the effects of climate change will still be there, but we won't continue digging ourselves deeper into that hole. Is, 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 it, is there more to it than that? Or is it just these, these 
these um whatever these gases that are the problem it's as simple as that well nothing simple especially when it comes to the planet and the atmosphere but in general the scientists talk about reducing our carbon emissions by getting our carbon emissions as close to zero as quickly as we possibly can that means coal natural gas and petroleum and, and the great news say and and then what happens at that point well then what happens is you start to level off the the level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere we're at a four in the neighborhood of 415 parts per million we want to get that leveled off as quickly as we can it should be probably below 350 that's why there's that group called 350 colorado and you interviewed micah parkin who's an amazing leader on so many levels inspiring um, that 350 is because we're supposed to have less than 350 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and we're at 415 going who, who about says about we're that. supposed to is that is that optimal for life or is that we we have perceived in the past where does that come from that's a good question uh you should have asked Micah, uh, but uh, that's fine. <laughs> I'd love to have her back uh, I'm on. I'm happy some point. to. Yeah, Mike is a Mike is a, an amazing person, and you know, a fount, and just incredible. So, for those that haven't listened to Micah's interview, but beef in pre-industrial times, we had about 280 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Now, the level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere changes a lot, and it's changed a lot over geologic time. But the thing is, is that humans and all of our systems, all of our agriculture, all of our communities, I mean, were built kind of in that period when carbon dioxide was down in the neighborhood of 280 parts per million. And there's, you know, it would be great to just be able to go back to 280. But it's kind of like, you know, cholesterol in your blood or whatever. There are levels below which you, there's an optimal level. And then there's a level below which you, if you can get below that, that's going to increase your likelihood of functioning well and not having a heart attack at 55 or whatever. So, so that's where, I mean, ideally we wouldn't have put any carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, but we are. Then of course there's, um, I'm getting my internet connection is unstable. I'm sorry. Whatever that's No, it's about. okay. I think you're back. Um, the uh, there will be feedback cycles. That's part of the depressing part because we've added so much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Then we'll start to have feedback cycles, and some methane will become not just some, quite a bit of methane will be coming out of out of um, the permafrost. Think about, you know, northern Canada, northern Russia, and places like that. And there's a lot of methane there, and that's going to accelerate it. So that's why I say solving it isn't, we can't solve it in a perfect kind of fashion. But we can level off the levels of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere as quickly as we can. And the good news is we could do that starting with electricity in this decade. That's my point. We have, particularly in Colorado, we have thousands of megawatts of wind and solar and storage ready to go. They're cheaper than our current fossil fuel dominated system. And part of what we need to do is keep the pressure on Excel for those of us that live in Excel territory. We work with people all over Colorado as well as around the country on their utility issues. But if we keep the pressure on utilities like Excel to move faster, they're headed in the right direction now, 
that's great because they were headed in absolutely the wrong direction when I began. Mm -hmm. They're now headed in the right direction. They recognize they need to address their carbon problem, but they're going too slowly. It's what I refer to as slow walking. Maybe when you're a kid and your mom said, okay, now we're going to leave the music park (laughs) or whatever. As far as I know, it's it's in their best interest as well if they want to stay in business to transition as quickly as possible. From what Micah had said, it's now more cost effective to to use renewables to power homes and vehicles and different things as far as I understand. That's right. But if we think about, and I'll focus on Colorado because you and I are here in Colorado, but you know, we could talk about any state, but in Colorado, our, our biggest utility, Excel, is a monopoly. So if forces, So even though it's lower cost to generate electricity from wind and solar and to use storage to help balance those out, their profits are currently coming from their fossil fuel generation because of the way their rates are determined. So this is something I've spent a lot of time on, spent a lot of time down at the Public Utilities Commission. I'm kind of well known for that. Mm-hmm. And they're moving in the right direction, but they're doing it slowly because they're also trying to keep all their profits coming in from their coal and natural gas or what I call fossil methane plants. And so they're headed in the right direction, but they're not going nearly as fast as they could or should. And that's a big problem. Why do you, why do you think that is? It's because they're worried about short-term profit margin? Yeah. And... Let me just, we'll do a quick run through utility rates just to kind of get lay the foundation because it's really important to understanding this problem. Excel gets to collect rates from us that are determined by a couple things. The biggest thing is what's called their rate base. And think of that as their cumulative capital investment. Whenever they, they build and own a power plant, think steel, concrete, things like that, wind turbines if they own them. That's a capital investment. That goes into their rate base. And then they multiply their rate base times the percentage, the the cost of their money, kind of like you think about a mortgage, you know, your mortgage rates are really low now, right? So that's Mm -hmm. helpful. But if mortgage rates were seven or 8%, your job would be harder because it'd be harder for your clients to, to finance it. That Excel's cost of money, what's called their weighted average cost of capital, is usually above 7%. And it's in that weighted average cost of capital that their profits come from. Right. So they try to make their rate base as big as they can, multiply it by 7%, their weighted average cost of capital, and then out of that is where their profits will come from. Last year in Colorado, Excel had 578 million of after-tax net income, 578 driven because their rate base is largely determined by their fossil fuel plants, their coal mm. plants and their fossil methane plants. And they so own those if plants they were to just themselves? close their coal plants and close their fossil methane plants, most, most of those they do. So they're, they're fossil methane, they're natural gas plants, some they're on what's called a power purchase agreement. But their coal plants, they pretty much own. Sometimes they have joint ownership with some other utilities. And 
then the other side of this equation, and I appreciate you asking, and it is a little complicated, but it's fundamental to understanding why we're not moving as fast as we should. When it comes to renewables, wind and solar, Colorado is set up where all of those are gonna be do, done competitive and middle-aged people who are ready to bring wind and solar to us at a really low cost, but they can bring it at a lower cost than Excel. So Excel doesn't get to own it because they uh -huh. can't win the competitive bidding. So right. their rate base is defined by their fossil fuel plants. The renewables will probably mostly be owned by somebody else who can sharpen their pencil more and bring us a better deal. That would be really good for us, but it's not, not for good Excel. for Excel. And so, yeah. And so there's competition coming to Colorado. It's happening in communities all around us that aren't served by Excel. But right now, Excel is able to hold the monopoly. So there are, you know, you can pay a little extra money and get a little more wind source or renewable connector, whatever. But generally, if you're King Supers or whoever, you're going to get the electricity that Excel brings you. And last year, that was 70% fossil fuel. Yeah. And, and mm -hmm. Technically, we could probably get 70 to 80% renewable instead of only 30% renewable. And we could do it in the next three to five years if we said this is a crisis and we need to treat it like a crisis. The house who, is Who is we? With we we is, as a community? Yeah, we as a community. You and me and everybody else and all the other people that I've worked with over the last 20 years, right? Who've come yeah, to understand this. And they've come to insist that Excel move faster, which we have an election coming up this year in Boulder. And the fundamental question there is, do we go back into franchise with Excel? It's ballot measure 2C. Mm -hmm. Do we go back into franchise with Excel and let them control mm -hmm. the pace and the price of this transition? Or do we stay what's called out of franchise, Boulder, and we work for a better deal, either a better deal from Excel, a better deal from an alternative provider that can help us finance the final steps of breaking away from Excel, or a better deal that could emerge when the legislature starts to understand the things we're talking about, which is that other providers can bring a higher quality product at a lower price but we don't have a competitive market in electricity in Colorado. And so we're, we're constrained in Excel territory to moving at the pace and the price that Excel wants to have. I wanna honor Excel. They have made some good progress and the people who work for Excel are very good people and they care and they're really competent. But a monopoly is a form of doing business that could have, it can have benefits, but it can also have really serious downsides. Excel's predecessor, public service company, Colorado, a monopoly, because we didn't want to have 10 sets of wires running up and down everybody's street, you know, from all these different providers. Sure. But now in the 21st century, uh, Many other states have moved to a more competitive system. And, you know, we'll just use real estate. What if you were the 
only real estate agent in Colorado. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, as a as a someone I mean, who went to business school, it would be kind of cool for you because you'd be making a bundle of money. That's that's <laughs> it's a problem, right? Yeah. I often use the restaurant analogy. Well, instead of being a real estate agent, you decided to open a restaurant. You are the only restaurant in town, and you've been the only restaurant in town for a hundred years. You happen to like liver and onions. <laughs> I don't happen to like liver and onions and most people don't like liver and onions, but if I want to go to your restaurant, you're going to serve me liver and onions. Right. And too bad. Now going out to eat is good to stay home and make my own salads or whatever, but electricity is basically a necessity now in the 21st century. And we have a monopoly that until recently wanted to service liver and onions 90 plus percent of the time. Like electrons, I don't want your fossil fuel-based electrons. We want greener electrons. And I'm part of huge set of teams and people. Uh, it's a long history that's interesting and fun, but wouldn't mean much to you. But just mm -hmm. know that it's been about 20 years of work by a lot of people of which I'm been a leader, but certainly not the only leader. And just insisting that I don't want liver and onions. I don't want black. And I was there some of the first times when Excel engineers saw wind turbine produce electricity and their eyes got really big because they couldn't believe that that thing going around would turn a turbine, which of course it does, or that solar panels would produce electricity. They were just like, whoa. It's, am it's amazing. And now they get it and they're getting much better at it, but they're still going too slowly. And they have thousands of megawatts of wind and solar that they have been offered. And they've left over 90% of those projects undeveloped. Those projects would hire young people like you. They would keep our energy dollars in the state instead of spending them out to buy coal. They would help our tax base and our economic multiplier effect but again, because Excel is a monopoly, they get to control the pace and the price. They're it's not a, bad people. Yeah. It's just when you, you and I would do the same thing if we were working for a monopoly. You would get up every morning and your job would be to protect the monopoly because that's when you well, have a monopoly, it's a big deal. Yeah, it, it seems that this whole problem of climate change has to do with an, an inefficient system that needs to be improved. And that is the same with Excel in Colorado, it sounds. Yeah, exactly. And you can see in transportation, even though you may not be able to, you may not decide to spend money on a Tesla Model 3 like we talked about a little while ago, you could. And if somebody makes a better car than Tesla, you could choose that. It's a market out there and they're all competing to create the best product at the best price and you have consumer choice and you might have that choice and so does everybody else within the constraints of their budget and all that. But electricity, if you want electricity, basically you go to Excel and then you take what they give you and you pay the price they charge you. 
Gotcha. Other states, you can go online and say, I live at this address, and then there's a menu of 10 providers that come up, and you get to choose based on, you know, how many, how green it is. And again, I, I'm not trying to criticize Excel or the people that work there. That's just the business they work for, and they're good people, and they're competent, and they're working hard to move their company in the right direction. But they're weighed down, they're held back, by previous generations that spent a lot of money on their coal plants and their fossil methane plants, their fossil fuel plants. And they're also weighed down by what they perceive as the need to make their earnings per share to their shareholders go up five to 7% a year. When their load sense. is flat, when seven percent a year, when your load is flat, that's what I've spent a lot of time down at the Utilities Commission learning about and understanding and seeing. Oh, this is how the system works. And again, I'm not trying to diss the people who work for Excel, but the system that the way it's set up is not set up to help us address climate change as quickly as we can and should. And because it's a monopoly, we don't get to do comparison shopping. Realize that there are providers ready to bring us 90, and the most recent one of that. 2018, we had providers say, we're ready to bring you 90% renewable electricity, and we'll save you about 40 million a year. Excel would be about 120 million, and the 90% renewable would be about 83 million. So that would be the market at work. That would be the power of competition. But under our current legal system, the power of competition is not being allowed to work. Well, it's a lucky thing that we can change our legal system with our votes. Yeah. And the first vote is this vote in the fall of 2020 in Boulder Does Boulder want to go back into franchise with a monopoly, which is doing good work, and I honor them and everything else, but they're a monopoly. They control the pace and the price. It's a slow pace and a high price. Or do we want to maintain our independence and wait for a better deal? Maybe that better deal comes from Excel. Maybe it comes from one of these providers that's ready to bring us 90 or more percent renewable electricity at a very significant savings. What would be the benefit to not having a choice and keeping ourselves? It would be like just, oh, if we like what's going on now, we would vote to stay. What would be the benefit of, 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 of not doing it? I can't see any reason why you wouldn't want to um, foster competition in the market. That's just me, but I don't know. And I've got to say, Ethan, um, especially because I think a lot of your audience are younger people. As a general rule, when I speak to anyone under 40, They're like, well, of course we want to have more competition and let's do it. And yes, it might take some time and it's not going to be easy because a monopoly that's been there for a hundred years has a lot of power, a lot of political power, a lot of economic power, um, a lot of legal power. It won't be easy, but it's worth it. It's worth it to be able to open up the market and the power of competition. But people over 40 then split I have no idea because I can't run a real poll, but in my experience, they split about 50-50. 50% of the people are like, yep, this is, we should go for competition. We should have more control, more local control over pace and the price because this is our largest source of greenhouse gas emissions. It's also a significant business expense for every business in Boulder as well as in Colorado. And if you could get a better product and save 20 or 30%, 
wouldn't you want to do that on a on an essential business expense? But about and save the world and and help to to do your part to save the world. Like, what's not to like about that? Save money no and save the planet works for us. And I find, as a general rule of thumb, everybody under forty totally gets it, and they're completely on board. Over forty. There's a lot of people who say, well, Excel's always done it. Nobody else could do it as well as Excel, which isn't true. Their reliability is not. Longmont has better electric reliability than we do. They're a locally owned municipal electric utility. Their reliability is a lot better than Excel's. Fort Collins is a lot, lot better in their municipal electric utility. But over 40, 50, somewhere in that range, people that have always lived with Excel, they can't think of a different way and they're afraid of a different way and the fact that we are spending some money to try to find a way to open up competition weighs on them. It comes out to, I just did it this morning for somebody else. For me, it's about a dollar a month for my household that I'm paying to try to drive this more competitive process. I'm more than willing to pay a dollar a month to help open up competition, accelerate the pace, bring us more renewable electricity, keep our energy dollars in Colorado so we have more of the tax benefits and the economic multiplier effect and much lower carbon emissions, so less contribution to climate change, more renewable generation, which creates really great jobs for people in your generation and the one above you and the one below you, really interesting jobs. Um, and a uh, dollar a month, I'm way happy to pay that, but some people, I'm they sure. add it up. 10 years and go, Oh, I just paid $250. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure most people would be okay with something like that. Generally speaking. So yeah, so let's, let's transition a bit to your, your thoughts on the role of the youth, these under 40 people and what position they have and what they should be doing every day, every year, every week, whatever to, to make these changes that we so desperately need. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, they should talk to you No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because clearly you've gone through the process and maybe at the end I would like to come back and ask you that process for you. But, but to answer your question for, let's just call them people under 40, but it should be everybody at every age. Mm -hmm. First, of course, is recognizing that we have a problem, what is increasingly called a crisis. I've believed it's a crisis. That's why I resigned my job in 2004, work 80, 90 hours a week without pay. Um, yeah, it's okay. I'm a mom, you know, <laughs> you're used to, you're used to, to do to doing something for someone with no reciprocation. <laughs> yeah. Well, my husband paid the bills. So that, that was clearly that, that's helpful. helpful he's as he's well. a teacher. So we're not rolling in dough, but, uh, we got, we never were homeless either or hungry. So I'm grateful yeah. for that for sure. Um, so first of all, recognize it's a problem. The second step is to not go into despair. Yeah, that's difficult. That is not easy. That's why I usually put it as the second step. Mm -hmm. Because once you recognize a problem, it's really blessed scary. Yeah. And, you know, it takes someone with your mental capacity and makeup and other people like you to be able to both acknowledge the problem and carry on in life in a really positive way. It's Do important whatever to keep your, a positive mindset. What yeah, most of what I preach is 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 about positive mindset and enjoying your life uh, regardless of what anyone else thinks or whatever information's out there you go at it with a positive state of mind yeah exactly and and so that's why i said talk to ethan 
How do you do that, right? I mean, you know, you're facing this, you understand climate change, you wouldn't be doing these podcasts and creating your business the way you are. It, if you didn't understand it at a really deep level, you'd just be doing whatever guys your age do normally do, right? Um, so you really understand it, but you also have a really positive, out, out, you know, approach to life. And I work with a lot of 20 and 30 somethings who are doing the same thing and it's just a joy. They're, they're remarkable people. And, uh, but it is not straightforward because it can be overwhelming and depressing and super scary. And then you don't know what to do. So the first thing is to recognize problems. Second thing is to not fall into despair. One of the things we say in clean energy action is every minute we spend in despair is a minute we don't spend in leadership. It doesn't mean I don't have my moments of despair. Everyone does. It doesn't mean there aren't times when the tears don't roll down my cheeks. But I try to work through it as quickly as I can so I can go back into a position of leadership. Because we all have a really strong role to play in addressing our community's contribution to climate change. Most of us, I can't wave a magic wand. I thought about this morning. I'd love to wave, wave a magic wand and make China get on board. But I don't live in China and I don't speak Mandarin and I don't have any power and I'm not the president, you know, blah, blah, blah. Are they not doing, doing very well in the transition to renewable energy? As far as I understand it, they have electric buses and different things, no? They're doing great. And, uh, and we owe them a lot of, you know, a lot of gratitude because they've helped bring the cost of solar down. They're doing a lot of solar, a lot of wind, and a lot they of They want to live too. They want to keep yeah. going on. They've been alive for thousands of years. They want to live thousands more. They're people yeah, they too. They, they also have built a lot of coal plants, and mm -hmm. they're now, on an annual basis, the largest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. On a, cumulative basis, on a cumulative basis, the United States is the largest contributor. But right now, on an annual basis, China is. Can you explain the distinction? Uh, annual is like, let's look at 2019. Who was the largest contributor of greenhouse gas emissions in 2019? China was. Mm -hmm. Look at cumulative, let's say from oh, 1900 from the Got it. Yep. to 2020, uh, you know, some period of time like that. The United States is the largest cumulative emitter because we did the so much loser. in the in the 50s and the 60s and this yeah 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s we were surpassed by china in this century but over time the united states is the one that's contributed the most greenhouse gases to our atmosphere and acidification of oceans and all that mm -hmm. so i can't really do much about china except for to try to set a good example I can't even really do very much about the united states i work at the national level the state level i work at the state level and and that's difficult and complicated and you kind of got to go to Denver and it's an alphabet soup of agencies. So if people have the time and the energy, definitely work at the state level, but everyone can work at the community level because you, Ethan, could call up your city council people. Adam Swetlick, great young guy who's helping, maybe you know Adam. You could call up Mark Wallach, you could call up our mayor, Sam Weaver, you could call up our assistant mayor, Bob Yates, and have these kinds of conversations. And there's a lot of people like me who are willing to help get you started so that you can voice your perspective. Or you and can organize you a it, group of people to go and talk to these people and say, hey, it's not just me. Here's me 
and all my friends who now are stakeholders in Boulder. We plan to live here. We love it here. We want it to be a good place. All of us, you could, you could organize groups. You, you could be a leader. There's a lot of different options in the local level. Absolutely. And you can see that you could do that without having to just give up your job and go live in Denver, you know, go down to the state capitol and all these agencies all the time. You can do this. You can take, you know, an hour this week to research the problem, an hour the next week to have coffee. We don't have coffee right now with the virus, but the equivalent, the Zoomy thing or whatever, mm-hmm. with one of your city council people. And within six weeks, well, nine weeks, I guess, within nine weeks, you will have spoken to all of them. If you double that rate, you'll have spoken to all your city council people in four, five or six weeks. And then, you know, at basically what we refer to as the hour a week program. Now, most people can't do what I did, which is have my husband pay the bills and I work 80 to 90 hours a week, but everybody can contribute an hour a week. You're doing a lot more than that with all the things you're doing, Ethan, but everybody, and if you can't do that, then don't tell me you care about the planet or the community you're going to live in or, or creating a better world for the 21st century. And I always say, if it's, uh, you know, 11 o'clock on Sunday night and you haven't done your hour, stay up an hour, you know? Yeah. A marathon starts with a few steps. Yeah. And an hour a week with a group of five or 10, that's where I started. When I began, I had six people on my email list, four never showed up. One guy, wonderful electrical engineer, Jack Twombly showed up and we just kept building from there. And now I have connection with thousands and thousands of people all over the country. And it's fun. And you're hanging out with people. It's really fun because when you have this vision of where we're going, electric cars are a lot more fun. Hmm. An electric system that isn't burning fossil fuels and that's much more resilient when the fires and the floods and everything else come, that's a really interesting problem. And you get to work with people who care about these things. And again, an hour a week, not asking anybody to give up their job or taking care of their family or anything like that. But for the planet, the only planet we know of that supports life, an hour a week. And we have a whole team of people that will help anybody, you know, that you have. We don't care what age they are. We work with, in our movement, we've, they've now grown up a little bit, but we've had four and five-year-olds <laughs> and 90-year-olds. The 90-year-olds have died. And uh, we, we, have, uh, we have a bunch of, like, young teens now. Um, and uh, they're amazing. And then, obviously, 20s and 30s and 40s and everything in between. So, um, you know, you get a little bit of like the knowledge that you've gained this morning about electricity, the role of monopoly, innovation, a monopoly controlling pace and price is probably not like when you think about your business education, it's like, well, that's probably not going to work that well because monopolies don't have any competition. Right. And it's not that they're bad people or anything. It's just they need some competition to get the pace and the price moving faster and better do you want to talk about your work with clean energy action a bit sounds like you've used it's been sprinkled in plenty of times but what exactly has been done yeah clean energy action is a a small group here in boulder but uh we always say we punch above our weight we work on something (laughs) called citizen power uh we have i guess now we have a couple of part-time staff people amazing young 20 somethings who are each just wonderful and unique in their way connor may and chris warren and and luke charbonneau and uh, several others 
that we pay, you know, maybe 10 hours a week or something at, at most. And uh, they do amazing work for us on a staff basis. But most of our work is done on citizen power, kind of starting with this hour a week concept. And we sometimes refer to ourselves as the starter drug. Not that I want anybody to do drugs, but um, once you start spending an hour a week, then pretty soon you want to spend two or three. And then we have to work with you to make sure that you're still, you know, don't, don't take on too much. Don't burn yourself out. It's really fun and interesting work, but make sure you keep your bills paid and you get some exercise and you're getting enough sleep at night and all that sort of thing. Uh, but it's because it's really fun and interesting and satisfying work. It's hard work. It's, you know, social change doesn't come easily. So clean energy action works at the local, state, and national level using citizen power and helping to build the movement at all of those levels. And I'm happy to talk more about what's going on at the state level or the national level, but it's just most people can't really engage effectively at those levels, but everybody can engage effectively at the community level. Yeah, and, and throughout the, the last five minutes, I'm starting to get like an Ethan idea. And I'm like, I'm, so I'm, slowly, I'm slowly building this, this database of people who are in support of me for my real estate business in support of climate change. And I'm realizing I, I'm becoming very skilled at whether it's we want to call it bothering people or staying in touch <laughs> with people or amassing a network of those I can communicate with systematically. And I'm con considering a way to kind of get a, a bunch of people behind me and, and really just so I'll, I'll talk about I'll talk about this is something that's that stands out to me and then whatever. Um, so the, the movie The Shawshank Redemption, when Andy Dufresne becomes the librarian and he writes a letter to the city or the, the state or whatever and says, hey, we need more books and like every week for like three years. And then finally, like after three years, like all the books start coming in and then he keeps writing them and gets more and more books. I'm thinking about if I can build this this database of people who are in support of what I'm doing, say, hey, I have 30, you know, 2000 people behind me in the city of Boulder who want us to to defranchise from Excel or whatever, whatever the correct wording is. And just cause I'm, I'm, I seem to be more persistent than, than anyone else. So I, I feel like I have this ability to just go in and just hammer something down until it gets done. But that's just something I thought about as we were discussing this. That's exactly right. And that's why I wanted to talk about the community level because not everybody has frankly has your personality and your connections, but everybody has a friend or two. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and everybody can, on their own, learn a little bit and then talk to their city council people and their county commissioners. Then that naturally kind of leads you into a little more involvement at the state level and, and understanding some of those things. But if just think, if everybody did some version of what you just described, gathering up your friends and acquaintances, not everybody has a couple thousand, most people have five or 10 or something, but if everybody did it, and spend an hour a week, how fast could we address our emissions of greenhouse gases? And set the stage and set the example for the rest of the country to follow yeah. suit. Yeah. Boulder, I, I believe Boulder has a very rare opportunity to do that. Not only is this a very desirable place to live, but we seem to, we have this culture where we do want to set the example for what the way other places should, should function. So that's Absolutely. Cool. And Clean Energy Action has worked with communities all over Colorado and all over the country. And the work we've done has is borne tremendous fruit. And it's quite easy to see in Colorado, that's maybe a conversation for another day. 
But when we see communities like Montrose on the West Slope and Durango and United Power, which serves an area north of Denver, and they're all on, uh, we've Platte River Power Authority and Colorado Springs, which, you know, is not exactly a liberal haven. That's exactly, they, almost exactly the same way Micah said it. <laughs> they're they're going to shut down their coal plants by 2020, before 2025. They're going to build solar and storage. And this is Colorado Springs. And we've worked with great folks in Pueblo, which is not a wealthy community. They just had a really tough election that they lost, but they've done amazing organizing work and they have made their utility sit up and pay attention, Black Hills. And they and so we've worked in really poor communities, um, poorer than Pueblo, indeed, um, really conservative communities. And there's such power in what you just described, which is get your friends, whether you've got three or 3,000, get your friends, get a little bit educated, and then work on the issues at the community level, starting with an hour a week, because if you have three people each putting in an hour a week, that's actually, you're going to get a lot done. Um, no doubt. And if you have a thousand, you know, like I'm, I get to retire completely, Ethan, when you get that done, I'm <laughs> ready for that. Um, yeah. Well, I just think it, I personally believe you'll succeed if you know you will. So if you set in your mind, especially if something like the, the local level, just we're like, I'm going to get this done. That means you don't stop. You just persist until you get it done. And when it's something like saving your world, your future family, your, your, your everything, saving life on earth, seems like something you might want to try and get done in my mind. I don't know. Especially if Ethan talks to you. <laughs> maybe i try not to push my my views on other people but at the same time I, I i am in this position where i'm pushing my myself on people it's just the way it is well you're giving them an opportunity there are very few people now that don't have some sense of the climate crisis there's 20 or 30 percent and i think if they're still in denial they're going to stay in denial i don't worry about it i just talk to them about something different baseball or whatever you know yeah. uh, because yeah. it's you love you know, everyone for who they are and they, they can't, I think a large part of it is they can't bear the pain of acknowledging what we've done. Because if you actually understand where we are, it's going to be really painful and difficult. And some people just kind of, they, they psychologically can't bear that pain. So I don't worry about them very much. This, all the polls tell us 60 to 70% of people understand climate change is real and serious but I believe they don't really know what to do. What can they do? If the president's not doing it or if the governor's not doing a good job, what can I do? I'm gonna vote, okay, I got that down. Well, what can I do? Oh, I could learn, I could engage at my community level, starting with electricity because the largest source of greenhouse gas emissions and then we can come back to this issue before us here in Boulder, but also helping to spread the word about electric transportation. And, mm -hmm. and how to reduce our reliance on fossil fuels for heating, which I always believe starts with design first, then electrification. But we could have that conversation later. You start to get educated, and then you start to talk to your city council people, and you talk to the city, and you figure out what you can do to move that forward. And it's really fun, and it's doable on an hour a week. You can even go to 15 minutes a week. We, we have people who are like, I got 15 minutes. I'm like, great, I'll work with you. Because one week you spend 15 minutes educated. The next week you set up a meeting. The third week, 
I think that was my notification, sorry. The no third problem. week you, the third week you, the second week you set up a meeting with somebody, the third week you have the meeting, the fourth week you follow up, and the next Persist. month you, it, you will Persist. have already had your first climate meeting with somebody, and you now will be ready to spend 20 minutes a week on it. And then pretty soon we have to have the conversation about don't spend too much time on this because you got to keep your bills paid and get you enough sleep yep. and go on a bike ride or whatever. But um, it's really fun and it's really kind of addictive. Um, and and who doesn't, there's 20 or 30% who aren't ready. That's okay. Most of those people are older. That's fine. They did their thing in their life. But a very high percentage of people understand the problem. They just don't quite know how to go about getting involved in a way that's manageable because they've got kids and a mortgage to pay and you know all that other stuff and a job and uh so they don't quite know how so it's very exciting when that work happens that's the work that micah does it's work i've been doing uh and uh we've built a big climate movement in colorado one person at a time one community at a time and we now have communities all over colorado doing this but we're not going fast enough. And their big report came out yesterday that told us we weren't going fast enough. And that again, electricity is the key to the puzzle. We need to get our electricity to be above 90% carbon free. And we should do that by 2030 or sooner, close all our coal plants by 2025. And uh, it's all stuff that we've been saying in clean energy action for a long time, but now we have kind of a, a very official report saying the same thing we did the analyses in our kind of the way that we could, but this is now a pretty very detailed report done by grid labs. But I, I think, uh, you know, you I'm sure have to get back to work and I probably should too, but I wanted yeah, to kind of do what I could around this election that's facing us in Boulder. And I think you kind of get it, but I think I'll, I'll try to summarize it for people. The ballot measure is called 2C. Uh, I'm with the group that says no on 2C because 2C would put us back under franchise with Excel. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Excel is not a bad company. They're headed in the right direction. They have very good people working for them, but they're a monopoly. And when you're a monopoly, you control the pace and the price because you don't have any competition. And the pace is too slow. They were only 30% renewable electricity in 2019. There'll be more than that in 2020, which we're happy about because we want to solve this problem. But it's still not good enough. We need them to aim for basically 90% renewable electricity as soon as they can. They should be at 70% by 2025 at the latest and 90%. They're talking about an 80% carbon reduction, but that's not the same and they don't do the accounting properly. We could talk about that later. So I'm going to vote for no on 2C because it's the one thing I can do that will allow Boulder to look for a better deal. It might be a better deal from Excel. It might be a better deal from one of these providers that says, listen, we can bring you 80, 90, even 100% renewable electricity and save you tens of millions of dollars a year as a community on your electric bill. And we need to keep pushing on that because we can have a much better system, a lower cost system, a cleaner system, addressing our community's largest source of greenhouse gas emissions. And so I'll be a no on 2C. We have a very large team working on it. 
We are very happy to speak to any group. Um, we will have a number of Zoom meetings on our website. Our website is empowerourfuture.org. We're a coalition of groups that includes Clean Energy Action and the Sierra Club and 350 and New Era, which is a great group that does politics for the next generation. And then you know, businesses and individuals, three former mayors are with us, several, uh, lots of former city council people, as well as Adam Swetlick and Junie Joseph on the current council. Um, and so we're a big team of people. We'll have regular Zoom meetings on our website. We have a great speakers, set of speakers. We will show up for any group, whether it's one or more, because every person that gets it, just like you've gotten it this morning, Ethan, you know, then you're starting to think about your friends and you have a huge friend base. But even if most people only have three friends, if we speak to that person and they bring along three other people, we don't have, you know, any- Everyone zero. counts. Everyone counts. Everyone counts. If somebody gave me a million dollars, I would hire a good PR firm to go out and, you know, run this campaign. We run it citizen power style, which is one person, person to person. We have people standing in the parks with masks and salad tongs to take out the, the uh, flyers to give you that they sterilized in their oven. Brad Siegel is doing this. And, uh, you know, and just hanging out at the parks while people are there with their kids or playing disc golf or whatever. So we're doing this, uh, you know, one person, person to person. And regardless of how the election turns out, we know that we're helping a lot of people understand the issue and some of the solutions better. We, of course, want to win because we don't want to go back into franchise with Excel. We don't believe, they, they talk about, oh, well, you'll have a five-year chance to get off. We don't believe Excel will actually honor those without making it very difficult. Um, we never know. Maybe Excel is a different company than they have been. But so that's kind of why I'll be voting no on 2C and I'm part of a very big team and we're here to help whoever wants to try to understand the issue better. Uh, we have a big team and that's what we're doing now. So great. Uh, love to talk to any of your friends or anybody who wants to set up a Zoom party. We'll talk to them and uh, we'll have standing Zoom parties on our website starting either next week or the week after. So, Excellent. Cool. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for joining me. Sorry about the technical difficulties in the middle. It's to be expected. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. I anticipate you'll, you'll be willing to come back on again and have a nice another chat in the future. And we can talk about how much, how far we've come from today uh, next year. So yeah, it's been a pleasure to have you. Thanks for joining me. I hope everyone enjoyed uh, I, this episode. I hope everybody has a fantastic day. Stay happy, stay positive and stay well.